Jules Von Hepp, if you listen to this, can you invite us to come and take our clothes off and put on fake tan again as soon as the world reopens? <laughs> that would be great. Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why. This week I'm joined by the lovely Alex Light, who is a body confidence and anti-diet campaigner, and she is also in recovery from an eating disorder. Alex's raison d'etre, is that terrible French? Sorry if it is. You get the vibe. Alice's raison d'etre is to help women feel better in their bodies, which is a wonderful ambition and I guess unfortunately is one that is much needed, which is what we dive into in this episode. You see, disordered eating and being in the cruxes of diet culture is, I believe, extremely widespread. Um, I always worry at this point that I'm just basically uh, talking from my own perspective and I can say without doubt I spent decades of my life on diets, every diet going in fact, cabbage soup diet, Atkins diet, um, paleo diet, I went to Slimming World in my very early teens. I was forever chasing a size and a weight that I believed would unlock some kind of untold happiness that if my stomach was flat then everything would be better and actually for me it was only after having children that I realized I really really didn't want to pass that kind of legacy on to my kids and particularly my daughter so with the help of some specialists I went about trying to step away from dieting to start exercising in a way that was for self-love rather than to try and get smaller and generally find acceptance in my body and I say the word acceptance rather than love I mean I have nothing but admiration for people who love their bodies but I don't think for me that is somewhere I'll ever be I don't know I don't know but I don't I don't like the idea of an added pressure of something I need to get to neutrality is great with me but the more serious, do I mean that? Maybe the more serious end of this is that Alex and I actually ended up recording a week after the sad death of Nikki Graham to anorexia. Now, like everybody, when I read about that, I felt nothing but sadness and then absolutely heartbreaking, but also this deep sense of frustration that I think all too often anorexia and eating disorders are are hugely misunderstood and and definitely underestimated. I think Alex even mentions that anorexia is the the mental health condition that kills the most women. And and so it is something that needs more airtime. It's something we need to better try and understand. And also I think try and understand the overall picture about particularly women, but everyone with their relationships with body and food and movement. So without further ado, let's get cracking with this episode. Big question going straight away, sorry. Tell me about your relationship (laughs) with your body, both now, but, but historically as well. Well, I mean, it's like the dichotomy. I mean, my relationship with my body now compared to how it used to be is just absolutely worlds apart. I have had like historically the, just a really terrible, terrible body image. I, 
you know, I, when I grew up, I was always chubby and I was kind of introduced to dieting from a really early age. Um, so about, I, I think I can't remember the exact dates, but I know, uh, sorry, years, but I know that it was when I, around when I started secondary school. So around the age of 12, when I was, um, when I started to diet and from there on out, I tried every diet under the sun, um, because I was convinced, you know, I was absolutely convinced that my value in the world, that my worth in the world was purely based on how, how much I weighed how thin I was and that in order to be successful or, or worthy or desired or to, to have affection and attention, <clears throat> I needed to be thin. So this was, this was a belief that was really very much, um, entrenched in me from a really early age. And that kind of just, it ended up essentially spiraling diet after diet after diet. And I was, you know, dieting myself up you know, getting my weight higher because that tends to be what happens when you go on a diet. And I got into my early twenties and I, I still don't really know what happened to this day, but something happened, something, something switched inside of me and I just started to restrict but like permanently restrict. It wasn't a diet, you know, it wasn't my previous restriction where I would restrict for a bit and then couldn't take it any longer. And I would, you know, there would be a backlash and I would start binging, but I was just restricting and restricting, restricting. And I ended up, yeah, getting really poorly. And I was, yeah, admitted to hospital for anorexia. Um, and so I've had a really long, sorry, this is a very long and a complicated um history because it is oh, and I find it so great. hard to like to put it into just a few words because it is so convoluted and I think this applies to a lot of people's relationship with their bodies as well but um you know that I suffered with eating disorders then from from for really my entire 20s and it was only just before I went into you know just before I I, I hit 30 that I started to genuinely recover there was a lot of recovery you know sort of quasi recovery that ended up in, in morphing into another eating disorder, um, during my twenties. And then I, eventually I finally got there when I discovered, um, self-acceptance and body acceptance and anti-diet culture and started to realize that these beliefs that I held were not real. <laughs> they were kind of just arbitrary beliefs that have been instilled in me by a society that has the wrong priorities. So, I, once my eyes were opened up to this, that was really the beginning of the, the, the journey to actually genuinely being comfortable in my body, which is where I am today <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so much I want to pick up on. And I, I mean, as I said to you off mic, I, I really want to talk about Nikki Graham, but before we talk about the, the further ends of this, I can sit here and I always wonder how to describe my relationship with food and my body. And I, I would say yeah. utterly disordered. And, and I don't think it ever got into an eating disorder, but I, I spent, I tied myself in knots and diets. That's, that was my kind of tipping point. I remember yeah. just thinking, I don't know what my own rules are now. Do I eat carbs then? Do I, am I trying to eat protein? Is fiber what I want or what I'm avoiding? I, and I just become so lost in my own, in my own, not my rules, are they? The diet culture's rules. 
And yeah, it's and and I think so many people, if they're honest, are in a similar place. And actually, the irony this I'm staying I'm staying in an annex at my dad's house. Just came back yesterday, and there's a pair there's a set of scales in the bathroom. I haven't seen scales yeah. in like two years, and I had to. Like I felt like a dopamine hit at the thought of, of seeing them and potentially being able to get that reading. And then I was like, right. don't step on them. Like what number yeah. is going to, what am I going to see? There's, there's no good answer unless in a really sick and distorted way, I, I happen to weigh more than less than I did 10 years ago, which won't be the case. And it's just like, yeah. this that's the only answer I want. I want, and I'm not even going to put a number on it because that's triggering in itself. But this, and as I'm saying it, I am aware that I sound absolutely mental, but also this is the norm across so many more and more people that I talk to who, if even if you're not in an eating disorder, who who diet before holidays, who diet before weddings, who who will think oh, I'm going to go to the gym because I had a big meal or because I'm going to have a good meal. And these things that we think are completely standardised and are not real thoughts, are they? Right, exactly. And I think what's interesting now is that, I mean, we've always, diet culture and diet chatter has always been so, so, so loud. And it's been such a prominent part of conversations, but it's always been in a really jovial way, you know, very blasé and flippant and, and, you know, oh, haha, another diet. This is another, you know, and I think the conversation around it is, is, um, fortunately sort of switching to like, well, actually let's talk about the damage that these, that this has on us, because like you say, we've got, we're, we're now, a a, a a, not only a generation, but multiple generations that are totally obsessed with how they look, like what, what they weigh on the scales, like obsessed with scales, obsessed with what they eat. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's really damaging, but you're like what you're saying. I mean, you're not alone at all. There are just so, so, so many women who struggle with this and men increasingly as well. It's just a huge, huge problem. It's, it's interesting to think how you how you begin to shift away from it. And for me, I think it's important to acknowledge that the, the space away from it is very, very scary. Because if you'd spent, I spent decades thinking that being a size X would equal happiness. And when you, it's, you know, if your goal's orientated, once you go, right, what is it that I'm aiming for? and that is self-acceptance, it, it can feel like a very um, discombobulating and confusing space to sit in, isn't it? Right. And I think as well, like we sort of pin everything on, like, if I get to this size, I'll be happy. If I get down to this weight, I'll be happy, you know? And so very rarely is that ever the case that you hit that goal and you're actually happy because that's not where true contentment and fulfillment originates from. You know, that comes from the connections we have with other people, the way we've built our lives, you know, that it, it it's so um, interpersonal and it's absolutely nothing to do with how we look. So I think, and that's the diet culture lie that we're sold that if we, if we lose weight, we'll be this, this, and this, you know, all the things I said before, desired, worthy, successful, loved, 
And it's just not the case, you know? And therefore, and, and the problem <sighs> then is that we spend so much time pouring our energy, our precious time, our energy and money as well. We spend so much money, but, you know, we, we, we pour all of it into reaching this arbitrary goal that actually is super anticlimactic and, and just is pretty hollow <laughs> once you actually reach it. But it's not yeah. our fault. We don't we don't know any different. We've only been we've only been taught to go down this path. We've never been offered an, an alternative route until this, you know, the body acceptance and self-acceptance movement has, you know, started and is just which I hope will take off even more and just show more young girls and women as well, you know, everyone that there is just we are wasting so much of our potential. Like there are so many bigger things in the world for us to go out and achieve and turn our focus and energy to than what size is in the, what, you know, what number is in the tag on the back of our clothes or what the number on the scale says when we step on it. It just isn't what it's, it's made out to be. It isn't as important as it's made out to be. And I wish I could like, I wish I could really, yeah, like get that into, you know, everyone's heads, but I know it's easier said than done. And I don't want to sound preachy either because I spent my entire life until very recently believe it, believing it too. But, um, I just feel like it, it, women are, I say women and men, but particularly women are real, have been slaves to diet culture for so long. And I would love to see it, see the end of it basically. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting what you say. So I did a lot of work with um, Laura Thomas, who has a London intuitive eating, something or another. And, she, and one of the exercises I had to do was this diagram of a brain and break up the things in my head. And she's like, look at that portion that you are literally right. hours of your life you're thinking about food. You could be thinking about your children. You could be thinking about your career. You could be thinking, you could be reading a book. And it's just like, when I saw it like that, it's just insane, isn't it? Right. And and that, that's actually something that I did when I first went into eating re- record, um, d- eating disorder recovery. They asked me to, yeah, make a pie chart of my, what's most important to me in my life. And it was like, I can't really remember the exact figure, but it was the majority, probably like 80% what I look like, what I weigh. That was the most important thing to me above all else. And it was around then, you know, building out like, well, what else matters to you? What else is important? And expanding that. But I think that's a really good exercise for anyone listening to this who does feel like they're, you know, potentially have some issues around food or their body. That's actually a really good exercise to to sort of identify how much of your thought, you know, how much of your mind is occupied by food and body and weight and what the rest of your mind is occupied and what you value as well, what you what, what you value, what's really important to you and try and build out the other stuff. And I think that's a really like nice practical way to sort of put, perhaps help put things in perspective um, because I remember it feeling very shocking to write down that like this is this is genuinely the thing that's most important to me more than anything. Yeah, thinking and about. that's crazy. Yeah. When we go back to as well, I mean, the quote is super famous now, but the quote, you know, no one's going to stand up at your funeral and say she had a small waist and a thigh gap. And it's, but it's so true. It's like, what will, what will our legacy be? Will it be, oh, she was a size eight, size 10, or she was like, 
you know, she fit into those jeans or it just, it would be, it'll be the furthest, furthest thing from anyone's mind. And probably, mm. and more than likely the furthest thing from our mind, you know, when that time does come, sorry to get morbid, but like, yeah. we won't be sitting there thinking, oh, well, you know, like, damn it. I never got into those size 10 jeans or like, I never got down to no. this amount of weight. I never hit my goal weight. Who cares? Who cares? No, but yeah, it's so true. One of the other questions I was talking about six packs and she was, and the therapist was like, so when you did get, if you've got a six pack, imagine you get one tomorrow, then what, what do you think? How do you think that changes your life? And I was like, well, I'd wear crop tops. And she's like, right. So you wear crop tops for a week, which I actually wouldn't. Yeah. And then, and then you're like, yeah. and then nothing, nothing like, and nothing. I was just like, but I have, and I was just like, but I have like obsessed about trying to get this flatter stomach, and then nothing changes. And I was just like, yeah. Right. And, and again, it's really asking that yourself those questions. And this is, and it's a different. No, it's an important conversation. This isn't about not. You want to. I I, I love the gym. And, and I don't do that to lose weight. I, it's not about saying, oh, you shouldn't want to use your body and get it in, in the best physical shape that you want to. But it's, it's yeah, it's not about aesthetics, basically, is it? Right, exactly. And I think what you're saying there about um, like challenging our beliefs, like that's CBT, cognitive you know, behavioral therapy, which is so, um, so uh, incredibly uh, helpful for anyone who's struggling with food and body issues. Cause l- like you said, just like that. And it's like, you know, I'm sure we'll get onto weight gain throughout the pandemic, you know? And it's like, people are terrified of seeing people again after, you know, and, and, you know, because they've put on weight, they're scared of social occasions and it's bringing up anxiety. And, you know, I, re- I remember this when I was going through recovery and I would just be sobbing to the, my therapist. I was very lucky to have therapy, by the way, because not everyone can access that. I just wanted to point that out. But I was sobbing to her and she she said to me, OK, so so and so friend sees you next week and thinks Alex has put on weight. And maybe she goes back to her friend and says Alex has put on weight. And then what? <laughs> like the world keeps turning. Yeah, like that, what else are they what else are they gonna talk about? Like oh, she's put on weight, cool. Like is that's as far as the conversation can go. It's not that interesting. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like we catastrophize and make it out yeah. to you know, in in our heads. And I think it's when you like strip it down and challenge what you're thinking. That was so powerful to me because I'd never thought about it like that. I'd never actually mm. sort of played out the situation in my head. It was just, I can't see anyone and they'll think that I've put on so much weight because it's like, and what? People have their own lives. People have yeah. this entire life of their own. They've got their own People securities. They've got everything of their own going on. People do, do not care enough, you know? So I think what you were saying, no. like what the, that work you did with Laura, like challenging... Um, which is all, you know, central to, to CBT is really important. Can you now say the words out loud, like Alex has put on weight? Like for me to say, Clemmy's put on weight, it, it, it's like, I want to be really clear that you can be down the line on this journey. And, it, and I'm not like... I wouldn't say I'm like recovered or I'm out of the woods. Like that definitely still has a has a physical reaction for me, but I've got enough rational right. tools now to go, yeah, 
th- that's okay. But it, it, yeah, I don't. When I've done an episode about um, like rec- alcohol recovery, you'd, it, it's not a kind yeah. of line in the sand moment where this is like, oh yeah, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be tempted no. to se- step on set scales again. I'm never gonna question my eating habits. It's like you have to keep checking back in. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> this is the tricky thing as well. It's a tricky thing for uh, people who are <clears throat> recovering from disordered eating and eating disorders. And it's just tricky for people who live in larger bodies as well, because you can do all the work that you want on yourself. You can do, you can work until the cows come home, right? But the, the, what you experience in the world will not always be reflective of what you have you know, of your new mentality. We still live in a world that's very, very much um, like obsessed with diet culture. And the overriding message is you've got to be thin. Thin is healthy. Thin is good. Thin thin means that you're, uh, you know, uh, a proactive person and that you take care of yourself. And, you know, people are going to fancy you if you're thin, you're attractive when you're thin. There is no getting away from that. So I think, I think it's unrealistic, actually, to think that anyone can be, I don't know if truly recovered is the right word, but if if anyone can be free of any echoes of those, you know, th- those old sentiments, I don't think that's really possible because we're human beings and we're like, you know, we're, we're, we are sensitive and we take stuff in and, and we internalize things. So I think it's, and I think this comes down to as well, like compassion, self-compassion to be really kind to yourself. And rather than be like, well, I'm obviously not recovered because this bothered me. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at this, blah, blah, blah. I think exactly. Yeah. Which I am fantastic at, by the way, like black and white thinking is my like forte, which I have to work on all the time. <laughs> um, but I think it's so important to have that compassion and be like, well, it makes sense that I feel like this. It totally makes sense. I'm living in this world that tells me this. I know the truth and I'm fighting against it, but I'm human at the end of the day. So yeah, I mean, like I have, I've put on weight throughout the pandemic. Um, and I, I don't genuinely don't feel fear of anyone saying you've put on weight because I know I have, but I, I, I feel like actually what I've me talking about on Instagram has been really powerful for me in sort of reclaiming it feels like I am able to like reclaim back the power that people feel like they lose when they put on weight. And I feel like I'm owning it. I am, you know, and I, I, I always kind of struggle with talking about my body in terms of like love and pride, but I will say that I am genuinely proud of my body for how it's coped throughout all of this, you know, because it's been a really crappy, like, unprecedented time and you know I, I can't I can't work out from home I've never been able to I've tried everything and I can't do it so my you know I used to do loads of f45 classes and spin classes um so I haven't done any I've been like sedentary for a, a year I guess pretty much and I've only just started to get back into to doing stuff now um so it's like my body, you know, coped with it the best way it did. And it we're, we're fine. Like I'm good, you know, I've put on weight and it's not the end of the world. Like I'm okay. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm listening to you because we're both sitting here with this very long hair and what we, you know, I, my hair is long because I've been in a pandemic and I haven't been able to be, go to the hairdresser. And actually we should be able to have that neutrality yeah. around 
I, I put I put on weight, like because hopefully you've got a good relationship with exercise, it will it will drip back into your life over the next. I've already seen you start training again because as as life shifts, you know you don't need to go on that guilt cycle. It it if you were yeah your body is reflective of the experience that you've been through in the last year. It, you know the hair is a weird comparison, but do you yeah. know what I mean. It shouldn't be any more loaded than that, should it? Exactly, exactly. That's it. It shouldn't be a little more loaded than that. Well said. And also, I feel like, I feel like we are supposed to keep our weight at like a, you know, a, a low weight and keep it there the same for our entire lives. And that's just not how human bodies work. They, our bodies respond to our environment, to our situations, you know, like, Someone said to me the other day, is it, you know, is it, am I not body positive if I lose weight? I was like, absolutely not. Of course you still are. Like we lose weight, we gain weight. Like that's what happens. It's an inherent part of being a human and having a body. Like our bodies respond to what's going on around us. And that's totally fine. And like, you know, I just, I I wish there wasn't so much um, attached to that. Right. If there wasn't so much judgment from ourselves and from other people attached to that, because it'd just be like, yeah, I mean, my my mum's like age group, they are like, oh, I wear stone more than I did, at, you know, when I was whatever. And I'm like, well, you're in your 60s. Like you're supposed to, you yeah, know, you're supposed to put yeah. on weight as you get older. It's like you're not supposed to stay this exact weight your entire life. So I think if. But the the thing is, this is, I don't, yeah, again, I want to come back to like, it's not any like individual's fault. Like we are led to believe this and that's the problem. There's so much misinformation out there and so much narrative that steers us towards this. So, which is, which is done by diet culture, which is like a huge billion dollar industry. So there's a reason behind it. You know, it's not for, it's, it's not for... It's not for no reason. It lines the pockets of a lot of people, so. Mm. In fact, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on there. Weaving back into a couple of previous episodes I've done about, especially as women, we are cyclical, right? If you understand your cycle, I know that I am bloody starving for the week before my cycle, my period. And and Same. you can fight that all you want, but your body is telling you to eat. And then if we go on and you go into um, to having babies you know I I weighed myself within 24 hours of giving birth to my children and and I'm about to make a joke about how it was a great piece of weight loss but that is not what I'm going to do because it's not funny but you know (laughs) of course you put on weight when you're growing a human like of course you put on weight for the year after when you're you're not sleeping at night and 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 then probably after you finished that bit, so for me, after I stopped breastfeeding a year later, then my body did go back to a bit closer to the version pre-babies. But it, I'm not going to have a 20-year-old body, just like I'm not going to go back to having a 20-year-old's mind. And I wouldn't exchange all the knowledge right. I have at nearly 40 for the for the body. I've got to say this with conviction, for the body I had in my 20s, I wouldn't. <laughs> You wouldn't. You definitely wouldn't. No, for sure. And it's like, it's the same with our faces as well. Where, you know, they're expected to look the same. Of, yeah. You know, we're expected to try and freeze time on our faces. It's just, it's like, yeah. I mean, growing Stop. older is a, you know, aging is a privilege, um, you know, that that many don't have. And it, it we should, I know, easy said than done, but embrace it. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. 
And I think something, the other thing I was going to touch on was about diet culture and, and it's this cycle of shame, isn't it? Like we are literally brainwashed to be, to feel ashamed of ourselves. And the thing you do with shame, and again, this for me mirrors the alcohol conversation is you try and soothe that shame with whatever your vice is or not vice, but you try and soothe it. And I've done that for, with food and with alcohol. And then you just, you just ladder back further and further down this. And actually, the news flashes, we've got nothing to feel ashamed about. <laughs> right. And it's been proven. Um, oh, gosh, I can't. I, I wish I could cite this, but I can't. But it has been proven scientifically that shame is not an effective motivator. Um, it, it, it actually pushes um negative behaviors and more self-destructive behaviors that's what it encourages so it doesn't encourage us to you know to get into any like health promoting behaviors you know for example people say they need to know that they're fat so they do something like you know to excuse that they're they're shaming their body shaming and it's like if you actually cared about health then you wouldn't try and shame them because Sorry, I went on a tangent there, but sh shame is not an effective motiv a motivator, no. essentially. And it's not like, I think the opposite to it is compassion, which is what is actually going to lead you to a really much better place with your body, with food, like having compassion for yourself and not, you know, shame is just, it's, it's a really horrible emotion and it's futile as well. Really futile. Like yeah. I, I, I don't actually know the benefits of it, but it's something that is really intrinsically linked to diet culture, uh, unfortunately. So it's a mm. huge, you know, it's a huge part of our psyche as well as that we just feel a lot of shame around our bodies um, and what we weigh. And I mean, you know, think about yeah. how... You talk to any like professional, say like a spray tanner, like Jules, Jules Von Hepp, you know, he says the amount of women, he yeah. says it's a shock when a woman doesn't come to me for a spray tan and doesn't apologize for her body. Like, isn't that crazy? Like we feel like we need to apologize for our bodies and say, oh, sorry, you know, I've put on weight because of an, oh, sorry. You know, there's just, there's so much shame surrounding our bodies. And I think it's... Like, I'd love to just banish it because nobody should feel any shame around their bodies. And it's just such a horrible negative emotion. And now a quick advert for my book, But Why? How to Answer Tricky Questions from Kids by Having Honest Conversations with Yourself. And one of the questions I cover is, but why don't I look like everybody else? Which the research I did for that was just mind blowing, actually. That everybody felt like they wanted to look like whatever normal was but but as we well know there is no such thing as normal that every person is wonderful exactly as they are and how do we teach our children that alex is one of the contributors to the book as well as laura thomas who i referenced during the podcast who taught me about intuitive eating but Why is available to pre-order now via the link in my show notes. And tomorrow I am off to record the audiobook. So if you'd like to download the audiobook instead, that is also available in the show notes. Thanks very much. 
I'm thinking of that shoot we did with Jules with I Love Paradise and it was a, a few of us and yeah. all different body shapes and, and it, it's absolutely mad all I did that day was in, and everyone was in their underwear I just thought oh my god our body's amazing look at all of us in different shapes and sizes there was no hierarchy there was no I wasn't judging or thinking anyone looked disgusting in fact I'm thinking the exact opposite it's amazing to see right. like, this flesh and just think it's so cool and people are beautiful Totally. Yeah, it was so cool, wasn't it? It was amazing. And like, I think if you can, if you can like, as well, because the, um, you know, all we see in the media, all we grew up with was seeing one type of beauty, one standard of beauty. And that was like a, a really thin, slim, white woman. And so that's what you then associate with beauty. You know, that's the standard of beauty. And actually, when you can like open your eyes up to the beauty in all different shapes and sizes and all different kinds of bodies, you see so much beauty, but you have to open your eyes up to it because we've been so conditioned and so steered towards one, you know, this really like very, very, very narrow standard of beauty um, that is mostly upheld by celebrities, for example. So, you know, we don't have many celeb have that many celebrities in like larger bodies say um so yeah i think that's and and that, that what you just um said described then like reminded me of when i started to like curate my feed and follow people of all different shapes and sizes and at first i was like this is a bit shocking just because i wasn't used to it i was only used to seeing bodies that were like had zero fat on them, were like smooth, like perfect. It was a shock. But once you desensitize yourself to seeing all these amazing bodies, you start to see them as amazing, right? And not as like, oh, this is shocking or, oh, that's not beautiful. That's not the standard of beauty we've come to know. It's just like, yeah, it's really, it's a really cool, like amazing things to actually like see, which is what it reminded me of when you described that shoot. Cause it's so, you can find so much beauty in all kinds of bodies. And I just love that. I think it's amazing. Actually, and this reminds me of like a, a turning point for me. So I've got two sons and then a daughter and my babies were all, uh, were all very chunky, which is amazing. Like, amazing, all those rolls and like they've got hairbands up their sleeves. But I remember looking at their bodies in awe because, you know, I grew them and just thinking, how can there ever be a day when, you know, when you're praising them for their beautiful roles and then one day that apparently switches and like, I was just like, this is such a screwed up thing because every person was once a child and I don't know, you just go, yeah, how, I hope that they never look at that beautiful flesh and, and think it's anything but amazing. From what I, everything that I've read, it's modeling, like it's modeling your own behavior. We can't, we can't hide them from dark culture and the media but they can never see their mother step on scales and they can never see their mum like, you know, grabbing their stomach or father. You know what I mean? I think, I think with all of these things, looking elsewhere for the answers, the, the, the real answer is, is in yourself, I believe. Yeah, definitely. Especially when it comes to kids, like they see the world through your lens through the pair, you know, the mum's lens for the first however long. And they're sponges as well. So they internalize everything, every little thing. So I think it's 
it's so, so, so important that you keep it really, um, you know, neutral and you don't sort of even reference your body in terms of like how it looks essentially, you know, and focus on the things it can do rather than, oh, I'm so fat, I need to go on a diet or this or that, you know, and it just reinforces that sort of that shame yeah reinforces that shame towards towards your body yeah so I think that's really important there's also a book as well that um Molly Forbes has just released I don't know if you've heard of it so it's um so Molly Forbes new book Body Happy Kids um is brilliant as well it's like a really um perfect like hand guide for for parents we are recording a week after um, Nikki Graham sadly died of anorexia. And I hope this isn't too, well, it will be difficult for you, but what what have your, been your thoughts and feelings off the back end of that? I am just, uh, I was like heartbroken to hear it and just so, so, so gutted. I mean, I knew things weren't going well in that area for her, you know, we heard that she was fundraising, her family was fundraising to try and get her into a, a different facility to try and help her out. But just, I just feel so, so, so sad about it. And I feel, you know, I think, and a really important thing that we have to take from this is, is realizing the, um, just how serious anorexia is. I often think there's still a lot of stigma around it and there's still this kind of belief that it's a a vanity issue, um, a vanity illness, and it's not necessarily, you know, a severe mental illness. And actually it's, it's the most deadly mental illness that has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. It's super, super serious and something that needs to be taken really seriously. And that, you know, that you know that goes all the way from like the NHS needs more more funding to help treat anorexia because it's so poorly poorly funded it's so underfunded um and all the way down to these we need to stop like selling these skinny this diet tea diet that like everything like that needs to go like yes eating disorders are complex and it won't just take one diet product to to give you an eating disorder however you are far 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 more likely i think neither that so the national eating disorder association uh, states that you are 18 times more likely to develop an eating disorder if you are um if if you do a lot of dieting basically so I think it's just a reminder across the board, you know, on the entire spectrum, like it needs to be taken seriously. It's not a joke and it's not something to be joked about. You know, I remember the the Kardashian sisters, which is kind of when I was like, I'm done with watching them. And sort of, I, I remember Chloe, I think it was said to Kim, like, you look anorexic. And Kim was like, oh, thank you. You know, I just think it's not a joke. It's not funny. It's really serious and it's claiming lives and it's just a horrendous, horrendous disease. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's just really, it's so, so, so sad. Like my heart broke for her, for her family. She was only 38, you know, and to lose everything, her entire, her life because of, you know, and this illness is just, it's just gutting. Yeah, and I think it was an important reminder. For me, I think there's a bit of this false belief that um, 
anorexia is a, a kind of teenage or young person's issue. I, I think we often hear about those recovery stories, yeah. but people are, are, are living with this, yeah, long term. And, you know, it's never too late to kind of help them get help. It's not very articulate, but you know what I mean? It's like... I don't know, things can just become ongoing habits and people rush under the carpet. Definitely. And I think it's also like really important to note that an eating disorder, you know, an eating disorder doesn't just look like, well, like you said, like a certain age, it's not just like a teenager and it's not just a really thin woman as well. You know, anorexia, um, well, it was in, in Nikki's case, but that's not the case for all eating disorders. And the problem is that we feel like we have to look a certain way in order to deserve help. And this is something that I think is really important to talk about as well, because if you are struggling, if it is impacting your life and your health and your body, you deserve help. Anyone who's struggling deserves help. Um, and I think that as well, the, um, the, stereotypes around anorexia need to be broken down as well because people can have anorexia and live in a bigger body than you know the the typical uh, you know anorexic girl that you you would sort of see in the media and an eating disorder does not discriminate against you know body size or or race um or gender either i think i think a third of i think a third of people who suffer with eating disorder disorders are male I really hope I've got that stat right, but I think that's right. Um, so eating disorders don't discriminate. And those people who fall outside of the stereotypical um, criteria for an eating disorder delay help or they are too embarrassed to get help. And then the eating disorder just goes further and further down the line and, and claims more and more of them. You know, obviously, as with most illnesses, the, the quicker you get it, the, the better. So... Yeah, a couple of things off that. Number one, um, to recommend Freddie Flintoff's amazing documentary about his um, bulimia, which I thought was incredibly brave of him. That documentary was so brave, but also I I was really quite stunned um, to see how uh, in the thick of it he still was, I suppose. And I just really hope that off the back of that, he got, he got help and some, and some therapy because he, he really, he definitely needed it. I mean, I was kind of, I was shocked to see just how in the depths of it he still was. So, and I actually think it's quite a triggering, it was quite a triggering documentary. Mm. That was what I was going to pick up on, that we're really used to seeing this content, which puts a nice bow on it of like, and here they are 10 years later and they're recovered. And he was very early in his journey. I mean, he was really only just realizing the extent, although he'd lived with it for a long time. So for anyone listening, he, during the peak of his career, he had, he was severely bulimic, but he was, you know, he gave a great example of, of not really wanting to, seek help because in his mind he was living with it because he was he was in a in a smaller body he was fit he was able he was still going to the gym and and you could see that thing where he's like I don't want to quit 
this is the dangerous thing about it. It for him, still not in the point of recovery, was it was enabling his life. And even though as a viewer you could see that it wasn't, and I think it really, yeah, as you say, I'm sure triggering, triggering, but also shone a light on on how how it can get you in its claws. Totally, and I think you're right. Like that's normally like the depiction in the media of like eating disorder recovery. It's like person is very thin, thin person gets help gets better recovers all's good and it's just that's not the case for so 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 many people as well it's like you know it's eating disorders as well it's super common for them to like you know you know for it to begin with anorexia and then morph into bulimia which then morphs into binge eating and I wish I had known that when I was going through my recovery because I didn't I, I had no idea that that could be the case. And I just felt like I was failing time and time and time again. Like, look at all these people, all these doc- I would like eat up documentaries about anorexia, you know, and I'd be like, look at all these people who have just got ill and recovered. Like, look at them now living, like, like living this happy recovered life. Like, why can't I do that? So I think that's really important as well to note that it takes time. It's long and you go up and down and up and down and it's, I would love for anyone listening who's like struggling with that, struggling with the back and forth of recovery to to take that away, to know that that's really normal. And I think it's that's reflective of our recovery of all kinds of different things as well, you know, not just yeah. eating disorders, but it's us in general. We don't tend to just sort of recover or like, you know, get better from something and it's just like that, like done. Like it's, you know, I'm talking about, you know, things that exist inside of our brains, I guess, but... It's really like recovery is not linear. Like there could not be a truer phrase than that. And I just really think it's so Mm. important to remember that it's a long and bumpy road, but all of those, you know, I always say like those, those bits where you fall back, the like lapses where I thought it was the end of the world and I was done and I was back at square one and I might as well not bother. I might as well just go back to a full on eating disorder because what, you know, I, I was already there. But actually, like those bits where those times where you fall down, you learn to get yourself back up and you learn those tools. And those tools are incredibly, those tools are are vital, really, to actual true recovery. So those bits where you fall back is where you learn the most and where you build your arsenal of tools to, to really like get you to a genuinely better place. Mm, that's it's so true yeah actually those lapses you might say I can't, I can't think of a good analogy but maybe they are absolutely crucial for the next level because because as you say you pick up another tool you've got right. proof I can only think of it in terms of my mental health that when that dips off every time I come back up I'm like well actually now I know that I can come back up from it so next time I've got that as, as an absolute proof point and and yeah it's the same it's all these kind of journeys yeah the, right. the one step forward two step yeah whatever and coping mechanisms yeah <sighs> I'm also thinking if anyone is is listening and either a family member or themselves this is like okay maybe you know it's the stuff that we tapped into at the beginning where again I want to fly but I don't think I'm not trying to claim that I had an eating disorder but I know some of my unhealthy thinking and, and if any of that is is ringing a bell, like what what would you advise? Is there like next steps? So I mean, therapy is incredible, especially when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I think I think to be honest, like most of us could do 
you know, could really benefit from therapy around diet culture and our bodies. Like, because a lot of us have these internalized beliefs that we struggle with. Maybe it's not a, you know, a, a totally overt struggle that impacts your daily life. Um, but a lot of us, yeah, we do struggle with it, but I know that therapy is not accessible to everyone. So if it is, and you think it's something that you can, you know, you can do financially, like, if you're almost there financially, I'd say like, it's absolutely like the the best, like the most worthy investment. Like I would give up like every single bit of like expensive clothing or whatever for, you know, to continue to have therapy because it's just like, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. Um, but I know that that's not accessible for everyone. I mean, you know, you can, you can see your GP. It's really, it's really difficult. And I don't know, like waiting times, um, vary across loads of different places, but what you can do, which is, um, really incredible is the eating disorder charity beat, um, which is the UK's leading eating disorder charity. They have, uh, free helplines with, um, trained, uh, trained people answering the phone and answering DMS as well on Instagram who can help steer you and give you a bit of, um, a bit of advice as to where to go next and what to do next and what might be the most beneficial course of action for, for you, because obviously it totally varies from person to person, but I always signpost people to beat, um, because it's an amazing charity and yeah, it's, it's with, it's with a, you know, someone who's, who's trained and who's going to be able to understand what, what, what you need. And I think tip like um, picking up on a conversation we've circled around. If don't think to yourself, oh, I, I'm not I am not bad enough to warrant help. You know, because it, it, again, it's another um, alcohol recovery analogy. But they talk about um, getting on a lift, and the, you know, the sooner you, if a, if a lift's going down, the sooner you get off it, the easier it is to walk back up the stairs. And so, it's much better to get it as you're on minus one, minus two, than when you get into the depths. And no eating disorder charity, no GP is going to say, oh, no, you know, I want you to get a bit worse before before we'll help you. So if, if you're even questioning it, please do reach out. Yeah. I love, I love that analogy as well. That's a really cool analogy. I like that. But also I wanted to say as well is that you can take things into your own hands um, additionally and you can, you know, we have amazing books about, um, about diet culture, about body acceptance, like some brilliant resources. Like there are so many resources out there. It's just amazing. And there's so much free content as well. You know, if you can't afford any of that, there's free content on YouTube, on Instagram, there's loads of like body acceptance creators, um, self-acceptance, body positivity, body confidence, like seek out those people and, Fill, yeah. filling your feed with it will lead yeah. to eventually filling your mind with it and starting mm -hmm. to tackle some of those beliefs that you've internalized. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, to, I think it, it helps massively to have the knowledge as well, to really have the knowledge around it. And like a, a really good book is Just Eat It by Laura Thomas. Yeah. Um, Just Eat It by Laura Thomas is a really good one. Um, the Fuck It Diet by Caroline Duna is really fantastic. Um, and then we've got like Happily Fatally After, um, Fatally Ever After, sorry, by Stephanie Yeboah. That's a brilliant book as well. Um, so I think just 
take things into your own hands, like arm yourself with knowledge because knowledge is power and it's going to, you know, help you really challenge and change your mindset. I couldn't agree more. And in the same way that we we slowly absorbed this diet culture, you can slowly edge your way out of it. I think I've read um, Laura's book, Just Eat It. I think I've read it three times. And the first time I read it with a, oh my word, yeah. I am, um, I I cannot compute what I'm reading. And then bit by bit, I, I, you know, I learn more and more from it. And, you know, this, this, there is no quick fix, but there is, if you just shift the dial a little bit, you know, the, the first time I wore a bikini without hating myself, and, you know, it, it just is incremental. And, and I do believe that we have the power to change our own perception. So you kind of, yeah, try and encourage people to start doing that because it's life is, Far too short. Far too short. And I'd love to say as well, like we have, we do have the power to change our own, uh, what we, what we think and believe about ourselves. Because if I can do it, like I hated my body as much as anyone can hate their body. I couldn't hate it anymore. I despised it. Whether I should have done or not, you know, because I still, my body held a lot of privilege and I wasn't, you know, I, I never lived in a marginalized body, but the, the contempt that I held, held for it, you know, was just horrendous. But I managed to get to a place where now, and I've put on more weight. I'm, I'm heavier than I was at that time. And I actually like my body. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not like in love with it. I'm not like parading it around every opportunity, or, like looking in the mirror, but I'm at a place where I feel at peace with my body and comfortable with my own skin. So if I can do it, then anyone can. I genuinely believe. I mean, I'm so in such admiration for the for the journey that that you've gone on and and the work that you do because, I, as I said, as to kind of weave back to where we began, I don't underestimate how it, like, it is a huge personal task and I'm not saying worries me for having a social page but when you're putting a picture of your own body up it is still a huge act of, of bravery because it, you're literally showing the world yourself in your underwear and you're doing it for the absolutely right reasons but it's big and brave and amazing so thank you oh thank you that means a lot thanks <laughs> You're doing it. You're doing it. You're making a difference. So actually, my kind of final couple of questions is what is next for you? What, what, like, yeah, how, because it is weird when your journey grabs the momentum that yours has. Do you kind of go, what is your North Star? It, you know, and is it, is it strange for you to find yourself just talking about this all the time? Or does that feel like where you were meant to end up? It feels like something that I am really, really passionate about. I feel like I've tapped into something that motivates me and I'm like genuinely, I think you, well, you can hear it. Like I'm really passionate about it because I feel like, I think it's twofold. Like I feel like I have wasted in air quotes, like wasted a lot of my time because of diet culture and my obsession with food and my weight and my body. And I'm, I don't want the same for anyone else when it's something that is avoidable. And I think I have the, the means, I'm not an expert, I'm not professional, but I ha I think I have the means to be able to help women avoid that sort of that, that, that same history. Um, and I also think as well, it's kind of, it, it feels like a way for me to, to sort of reconcile all that time lost, you know, all that time wasted. And, you know, I, I 
don't know who I would be if I didn't, hadn't had that, the eating disorder and the body image issues. And I don't know who I would be, but I know that this allows me to reconcile that and think, well, it was kind of all for a reason, you know, at least that's what I kind of tell myself. And that's what, what keeps me going. And like, that's what motivates me as well. Like speaking to people, like I'm obsessed with my DMs. I'm in them all the time. And I try and like reply to as many people as I can and, like, I don't underestimate, like, I don't underappreciate any single message that I get saying that I've helped with this or helped with that or help them feel better about their body. Like, they all mean so, so, so much to me. And I think that's what I just want to continue doing, really. I don't, I'm not really a... Um, I, I try not to be like a goals orient, orientated person because that's not really good for me because of my black and white mentality, like my all or nothing thinking, like I'm very perfectionist like that. So I try and, you know, I try and just keep it really simple and like, well, I'm happy what I'm doing, you know, doing what I'm doing right now. And I want to continue to do that and hopefully just keep doing what I'm doing. I know it's really boring. I'd like to say like, this is my goal. This is my aim, but I just, I'm happy with how it's going right now. And I just hope to be able to continue because you don't know as well. This is really, you know, something that, something that keeps me up at night is like, this is a really, you know, fickle industry and fickle world. And I just don't, don't know how long it's going to last for or how long I'll be able to have this job for. So I'm very grateful as I am right now. Mm. I think um, I'm listening to you also in admiration because I'm uh, her, horrendously I'm not uh, horrendously girls irritated. It's it's such a blessing and a curse, isn't it? It's like it makes it, it makes me very driven. But it's the black and white thinking and the when is ever good enough? What what you know? If I don't reach X, and I'm right. not talking followers, I'm talking like whatever goals like. You're setting yourself up for perpetual failure. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Well said. You're setting your, yourself up for, for perpetual fa uh, failure, but also you're like, you're taking yourself away from the present. Like, that's what I find with me. Like, I'm taking myself away from what I actually appreciate and I'm grateful for right now, you know, because I'm always thinking, well, but I will be more happy and more grateful then. So, you know, it takes me away from the, from the present and I just don't find it to be like a helpful mindset for me. So if that makes sense. It does. I'm going to take that. It's going to be my like big, big check-in with myself off the back of this, as well as all the other brilliant things. One final question. Oh, um, actually, you've um, helped with this in the actual book, but in the book, I ask everyone what they wish, wish they'd known when they were a kid. What would be your one thing? If you could go back to eight, 10, 12-year-old Alex, what, what would you tell her? Well, I'd love to tell her that you're... It's very simple. Your worth and your value in the world is not measured by what you are on the scales or what size clothes you wear or how much fat you have on your body. And that you've got so many, you've got so much, so many more important and interesting things about you. And those are the things that should be nurtured um, and yeah, cultivate a, a meaningful life. Around, I mean, this is a lot for an eight-year-old, right? But, <laughs> you know, at least to instill, instill these things, yeah, instill these things in her, like to cultivate a, a life, you know, outside of what I look like, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I always go back and say that kids already know all this. They know it. And, you know, my three-year-old could not be more happy in her own skin in every, in like not just the physical sense, but in her, yeah. in her mind as well. And it's just like, if we could just hold on to that, 
through whatever means. It, it you right. know, it, it's we just don't want anyone's life wasted working out how many carbs they've eaten. It's like, oh. Exactly. <laughs> Such a waste of time. And like you said, life is too precious and way too short. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I can honestly, obviously talk to you all day. And I often do crop into your DMs or leave you voice notes when you were feeling ill with Corona. I did a real mum thing, didn't I? I swung in. I was like, you're poorly. You're on day, whatever. It will be I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Oh, thank sorry, you. That was very much talk. appreciated. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for joining me today and for, and for talking about a load of hard stuff. I really appreciate it. And um, hopefully see you in real life in... Oh, no. When... I was going to say, before I do that, where can people find you? I'm assuming everybody knows who you are. Where can people find you on the internet? Yes, yeah, so I am on Instagram at alexlight underscore LDN. Stands for London, not licensed dietitian, nutritionist, which I, I feel like I have to, uh, oh, <laughs> to no. sort of confirm because there's a bit of confusion around that. Definitely stands for London. I am not an, I am not a professional. I'm not trained. Um, but yeah, you can find me there. So thank you so much for having me. I've loved talking to you as always. It's been absolutely delightful. And I hope we, Jules Von Hepp, if you listen to this, can you invite us to come and take our clothes off and put on fake tan again as soon as the world reopens? <laughs> that would be great. Yes, please. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Thank you, Alex. And that's it. Another episode wrapped. And one which, much like the mental health episode that I recorded with Matt Haig, left me feeling a little bit wobbly. So it's a strange thing doing this because the nature of it is that they're, they're pretty intimate conversations and through our work, Alex and I have become friends. So when I'm talking to her, even if it is over um, a laptop and with the mic in front of me, I'm very much think that I'm sharing with a friend. And I think I talked about some things that are felt pretty vulnerable to me. Things that I'm still working on, things that I don't fully understand. And that's definitely the case here. And I swayed between wanting to normalize some of this stuff around my body, but also not wanting to, as I kept referencing throughout the episode, not looking like, what language do I want to use here? Like I was trying to make a drama out of nothing. And so I don't know where I sit on it, but I, I guess I just, want people to know that even if you see someone sharing shots on Instagram in a bikini, which I occasionally do when I'm feeling in the mood to do so, because I believe in trying to be empowered about my body, it doesn't mean that it's a done deal. It doesn't mean that I have nailed it and I'm walking around in this brilliant space of self-love. It means that it's something that I hope to achieve and that I'm trying to role model, I guess, as I said, for my children or for anyone following me because yeah, I wasted far too much time trying to be smaller and that time is better spent doing pretty much anything. And yeah, and eating the brownies are good, moving your body is good and appreciating, yeah, just what it is to have health, I suppose. So what am I saying? Just that this one left me feeling wobbly, which feels like a bit of a pun, but I guess that's exactly what this is all about, about having honest conversations about stuff 
that is tricky, that does make you feel exposed because that is how I hope that we can learn from one another. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Please do rate, review, subscribe, and I always, always welcome your feedback either on Instagram or at butwhy at Thank you very much. <laughs>